Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the World Martial Arts Radio Network. Up next, you will be listening to the USA Martial Arts Hall of Fame Show Host of the Year Award winner, the one and only Justin Harvey, producer, director, and on-air star of the Justin Harvey Show. Hi, I'm Stephanie Ma from World Martial Arts Media, and today I'm here to tell you about LegacyBelts.com. Legacy Championship Belts and Awards is the world's premier manufacturer of custom and cast championship title belts who supplies belts to the top professional boxing, MMA, and wrestling organizations on the planet. If you are a promoter or collector looking for a high-quality MMA, martial arts, boxing, wrestling belt, or even a belt for a special event, then you need to visit LegacyBelts.com today. Be sure to like us at www.facebook.com slash LegacyBelts. Hello, this is the hardcore legend Mick Foley, and you are listening to the Justin Harvey Show. Yeah! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, Justin Harvey here of the Justin Harvey Show with a very, very special show tonight, which is brought to you by Legacy Belts and World Martial Arts Entertainment and Media Radio. I never thought I would ever speak to this man. I grew up on things like martial arts and professional wrestling, such as WCW, and I want to welcome... Eric Bischoff to the show. Welcome, sir. Glad to have you. Hey, it's great to be here. I know we've been talking about doing this interview for a long time, so I'm glad it finally worked out. Yes, me, me too, sir. And i I wanted to um I wanted to start off with um Can you tell us about your uh, your martial arts experience to start off with? Yeah, I will. You know, and it's it's interesting because um, my my background in martial arts is ultimately what led me to becoming involved in the professional wrestling industry. So I I have to give a lot of credit to my experience in martial arts and a lot of the relationships that I developed in martial arts because without them, I I would have never stepped foot in the professional wrestling industry. And for that, I'm very grateful. But, um, yeah, I I will go back just a a little ways for you. I, uh, I was first exposed really to martial arts when I was about 14 or 15 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was a, I was a young kid in Pittsburgh, and I had a neighbor who was about 12 or 14 years older than me, so his name was Bob. Uh, and he was, he, he had been in Vietnam. Uh, he was a veteran. He was in the Air Force in Vietnam. Um, and while he was in Vietnam uh, and in the service, he started training in martial arts. And when I met him, he, he clearly had been out of the service for quite a while, and he was my neighbor, and I moved into a new neighborhood without any friends or didn't know anybody. He was, you know, he was kind of a big brother to me more than anything else. And he was the one that first started exposing me to, to martial arts, some of the things that he had trained in and he had learned. And he was just teaching me very, very, you know, fundamental martial arts, to be honest with you. And only a few short years after that, I moved from Pittsburgh, where I, where I lived, to Minneapolis. And by mm-hmm. that time, I was about 15 or 16 years old, 
and again, you know, move, you know, when you move around a lot as a young man, you know, sometimes it takes a little time to, to, to get, you know, get new friends and establish yourself, so to speak. So when I moved to Minneapolis, um, one of the first things I did, because I didn't really have any friends, I didn't really know anybody, um, is uh, I enrolled in a martial arts school in Minneapolis. It was a, a Taekwondo uh, school, very traditional Taekwondo in Minneapolis. And I started training there for about a year, um, off and on. You know, I wasn't a, a great I had to take a bus from a suburb of Minneapolis because I didn't have a driver's license and didn't have anybody to drive me. So I would, I would take a bus every day into downtown Minneapolis and take classes and then take a bus back home and, and go to work. Mm-hmm. And I did, I did that for about a year or a year and a half. And then, you know, I kind of got away from martial arts for, for quite, quite a while. And I picked it back up again when I was about 24, 25 years old and, and still living in Minneapolis. And that's when I got very serious about it. And I started uh, training very seriously and, and regularly um, in martial arts at a place called Mid-America Karate. Mid-America Karate was owned by John and Pat Worley, Gordon Franks, Larry Carnahan, Gary Hestelow. These are all names that were really popular names, you know, back in the, oh, early 70s, mid-70s, late 70s. These guys were all really super competitive um, in the martial arts circuit down in Texas. And they mm-hmm. opened up a school in Minneapolis. So I, I started training there, and that's where I got my black belt in uh, 1979. That, that's that's amazing. And I want to go ahead. I want to go ahead and uh, jump into the wrestling thing because I watched, like I said, I watched uh, WCW growing up, and I wanted to comment and let you know, Eric, that uh, actually a lot of people thought that it was ruthless to give away Rawls' results, but in my mind, what you did was genius. Um, and what do you think that the wrestling industry needs to do today? Because I find that the format is really, really dry, and there's no really good storylines that's really going on. Yeah, I, I I feel the same way that you do, but but I'm also aware that you know we live in a time you know we live in a time right now where there is so much television, and there's and it's not even television. There's so many different ways to get entertainment, whether it's on a television set, whether it's on your computer, mm-hmm. your, your iPhone, or your you know your, your mobile device. There's just a million ways in a million places to get a lot of entertainment. And if you look at the WWE right now, they're you know they've got five hours of a primetime television every single week on cable television. Mm-hmm. And it's some of the highest rated uh, television on cable of, of anything. I mean, it's, it gets phenomenally great, phenomenally high ratings, and it's a, it's a great product. But yeah. there's so much of it. And, you know, if you go back and you look at, you know, you brought up me giving away, you know, finishes, and, you know, all the crazy controversial stuff that I did to help establish Nitro as a competitive mm-hmm. product. Well, we've all seen all of those things so many different times now. It's, my point is it's really, really hard for anybody to do anything that 
feels fresh or feels new because we covered so, not just me, not just WCW, but during the Monday Night Wars between the crazy stuff that I did and, and things that I did that had never been done before mm-hmm. and, and, the, and the things that the WWE did that had never been done before, when you combine those two companies during that period of time, between the two of us, we covered a lot of ground. Yeah. And unfortunately, now today, you're looking at one company, the WWE, who has so much television to produce, just sheer volume of television, and combine that with the fact that we've seen it all, we've done it all. Anything that they do now kind of feels like, oh, yeah, we've done that before, we've seen that before. So it's really, really hard. You know, I kind of had it easy back when I decided to be a renegade and, and do things that have never been done before and give away finishes and all that kind of crazy stuff. Well, I had the luxury of being in a position of doing it when no one else had ever done it before. But now we've all done it before, and we've seen it a million times. So it's a lot harder for somebody today to kind of create that same energy that we all remember from the Monday Night Wars because, A, there's no competition, yeah. and, B, we've been there, we've done it, we've seen it. Yeah. Um, how was how it, it working for Vince McMahon? Because in my wildest dreams, Eric, I never thought that I would ever see you on a Monday Night Raw because I remember when you debuted, my jaw just literally dropped, and I was like, wow, Eric Bischoff is now a part of the WWE, which was the WWF at the time. Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> that was an interesting time for me, and I, it's one that I really cherish and, and I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it's a, it's a lot like life, you know, <laughs> and I don't mean to be too dramatic about it or, or to be too uh, esoteric about it, but you know, there's a time to compete, there's a time for war, and there's a time to kind of just make up and move on with your life. And while I was extremely competitive with the WWE, and the WWE was extremely competitive with me, and I'm sure at the height of that competition, if Vincent Mann would have had an opportunity to get his hands around my throat uh, in a dark room somewhere where he could get away with it, he, he probably would have taken advantage of it. <laughs> But you know, once once you once you've been through that and you, you've given it everything you had and it's over with, you mm-hmm. know, if you're a mature person and and you're you're you know you look at the world in a bigger in a bigger picture, you just put all that aside and you do you do what's right, you know. Yeah, it, it's yeah. And it's no different than you know today people go on vacation in Vietnam, and mm-hmm. you know I remember as a teenager and a young young adult, you know. Our country was at war with Vietnam. Now it's a place where we go and we have trade with them. We go there on vacation. You know, we have a completely different view of of each other. And it's it's kind of the same in business. You can go to war. You could fight. You could be competitive. But at the end of the day, you know, you can also work together. So that's really what that was. Yeah, and and you've been out of wrestling for a long time, Eric. What are you doing these days with yourself? What What exactly are you doing now? Well, my partner, Jason Hervey, <laughs> and the first couple of times I saw your name come up on my email, I went, oh, that's Jason Hervey. That's my partner. Why is he asking me to do an interview? <laughs> my, my business partner, Jason Hervey, uh, and I have had our own television production company since 2003, um, so it's 13, 14 years old now, and we produce 
television what we create it and produce it and sell it to to television networks mm-hmm. so we've got a couple shows in production right now for two different cable networks and on top of that I have a gaming company that I've invested in um, I've got a beer company um, that I created and started and you know so between you know out marketing our beer product and building that company and building our gaming company and being involved in the television production business i I stay pretty busy mm-hmm. would you would you ever consider doing wrestling again in some aspect whether it's opening another company or whether it's making an appearance on t n a or w w e what what's your thoughts on that or are you completely done with it? No, 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 no. You know, wrestling is a, you know, it's, it's been my life for the last 30 years. So, um, if there's a, if there's a good opportunity, um, and, and when I say good opportunity, a good opportunity could be something that's just fun. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to necessarily be a, a huge financial opportunity for me, uh, because I do have other things going on in my life, um, from, from a financial perspective and business perspective. But if I had an opportunity in, in the wrestling business to either create something or be a part of somebody else's, creation um and it was fun and it, it, it fit my my lifestyle uh and it didn't you know require 80 hours a week in my life and you know traveling five days a week I, I would love to explore that so i i i miss wrestling i miss it a lot and i'm you know i'm constantly looking for opportunities in the wrestling business but it's let's say it's a lot harder now i have no interest in starting a traditional wrestling company because i think there's no room for it in in the market today um, I, I'm not interested in doing small, independent type of, of things for myself. I, I love attending them, and I love making appearances at, at shows like that. But I'm not interested in starting any kind of a small, independent wrestling organization of my own. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's there's always opportunities, and I'm, and I'm looking at a couple of them right now. But uh, time will tell. You know, it may work yeah. out, it may yeah. not. Yeah, now, now you, are, you are currently working on obtaining... WCW. What was your what was your full plan for WCW when you was going to buy it, and then something something had happened to where you didn't buy it, or somebody bought it before you, or Vince got it before you. What was what was your intention with WCW when you wanted to buy it? Well, when when you know WCW Turner Broadcasting brought me after they let me go in 1999. Uh, after about three or four months, I think they recognized that they made a pretty big mistake. And they asked me to come back. Mm-hmm. And I, I came back for a short period of time, but it was apparent to me right off the bat that, that the company was even worse than it was when I left it in 99. So I suggested to them that they sell it while it still had some value because, in my opinion, AOL Tom Warner was not interested in trying to save WCW or to, or to help it grow. They just wanted it to go away. So... I suggested to them that they sell it, and eventually they agreed to sell it to me. And I, you know, with you know the help of you know, people that I knew and, and and some contacts, I was able to raise sixty-seven million dollars, and and made an offer to purchase WCW. And we mm-hmm. spent almost a year going through the legal process of of an acquisition that size. And uh, right as we were getting ready to close the deal. Uh, Time Warner came in, AOL Time Warner came in and changed the terms of the deal at the last minute. Mm-hmm. And they changed the terms in a way that just made it no longer practical uh, or possible for us to follow through. So we walked away from the deal. 
And shortly after we walked away from that deal is when Vince McMahon came in and for a couple million dollars uh, versus the 67 that we offered, uh, AOL Time Warner sold the video library and the assets to WWE. And as yeah. far as our plans went, our plans were just to, to re-energize the brand. We were going to take it off TV for a few months so that when we brought it back, it felt like a big deal and people could anticipate the changes we were going to make and we could do some marketing and publicity and, and really kind of wipe the slate clean, so to speak, because there's so many horrible things that have been done leading up to that point. So we want mm-hmm. to be able to wipe the slate clean, let the audience kind of forget about all the bad stuff that had gone on for the last six months or either, and then come back with a whole fresh new type of programming. And yeah. that's basically what we were going to do. Yeah, yeah. That's that's amazing, Eric. And I wanted to ask you, since since you're into the martial arts and stuff, what do you, what do you think of MMA today? I've always wanted to get your thoughts on that as well. What do you think of MMA? You know, I have mixed emotions about it. You know, you know, mm-hmm. I I wrestled in high school. I, I wrestled even after high school. Um, I wrestled on AAU Greco-Roman freestyle teams while I was uh, in college, and and I've always loved amateur wrestling, collegiate wrestling, amateur wrestling, high schoolers. So I, I come from a wrestling background, and I also come from a martial arts background. So my perspective is a little different um, coming from the backgrounds that I that I do. Now, I, I love, I say I love, I, I enjoy MMA, but there are, th- there are aspects about it that just, I don't want to say turn me off, but mm-hmm. they neutralize, they, they neutralize me. For example, yeah. I, I, I love... I love I love boxing. You know, I you know when I watch MMA and I listen to announcers talking about how great of a striker someone is, for example. Mm-hmm. And I and, and I did a little Golden Gloves boxing too, by the way, while I was training for my MMA. You know, because after I made my black belt, I I did some kickboxing and back into PKA and things like that. So I I wanted to really improve my hand skills. So I trained with some Golden Gloves boxers, and, and I, you know, I certainly wasn't a Golden Gloves boxer myself, but I, but I did train with them, and I have some basic kind of boxing skills. In, in addition to my the, this the, the skill sets that I developed with my hands in, in in karate. So when I when I watch MMA and I see how sloppy, inaccurate, you know, a lot of the punching techniques are, mm-hmm. and then I hear announcers, you know. Wow, this guy is such a great striker. Well, no, he's not. It's just that the level of boxing skill in MMA is pretty low. Yeah, there yeah. very few people in MMA have good hands. Now, that doesn't mean you know a guy like Mark Hunt. By the way, I used I, I traveled to Tokyo, Japan, and I watched Mark Hunt fight when he was 22 years old in K1. So I'm real familiar with Mark Hunt and have been for many years, the last 20 years. And there's no question in the world that he has one of the most powerful punches, you know, in MMA. But that doesn't necessarily mean he's got great technique. That just means he can. He's a great puncher, and there's yeah. a difference. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing, you know. E- even the kicking, the same thing with kicking. Now there are a few great kickers, and there's some guys in MMA that I watch in UFC that do have good to great kicking technique, but the majority of them don't. 
Mm-hmm. And what, what you know, when I when I hear about guys, you know, I'm not going to name any names right now, but we all know who I'm talking about. When you when you hear about guys who are in their 30s who had no martial arts background whatsoever, who had no amateur wrestling background whatsoever, but yeah. all of a sudden, all of a sudden, are going to decide that they're going to train in MMA and then fight at a high level. What that tells me is that they really aren't that skilled. Because if you look at an MMA fighter, MMA fighter who has a great, you know, ground game, for example, that means they were probably a collegiate wrestler, mm-hmm. possibly an Olympic wrestler. And if they were, they've probably been wrestling since they were six or seven years old. That is not a skill that you can learn and be great at because you trained at it for a year and a half yeah. in a gym. That's a, that's a lifetime of developing that skill and that instinct and knowing, you know, feeling your balance and having an instinct for leverage and feeling your opponent's weight and leverage and balance. It, it, that's not a skill set that you can teach somebody in a year or a year and a half. Likewise, you can't teach someone to be a good martial artist and have great boxing or taking skills in a year. Or I mean, you can you can teach them to be adequate. You can yeah. teach them to be okay if they're competing against somebody else that doesn't have great skill sets. And if all things are being equal, and you got two guys who are average in there kicking and punching each other, I guess that makes for a great fight. But I'm kind of because I'm. Because of my history and my background, I tend to look at kicking technique and punching technique and even a wrestling technique a little bit a little bit differently than probably the average person who's watching MMA who doesn't have an amateur background in wrestling or never had an amateur background in martial arts or boxing. I look at it a little differently. Wow, wow. You've got a lot of knowledge, Eric, and I really appreciate you being with me today. And I wanted to tell you, um, I'm actually going to be sending you a video of, uh, I was actually put in a wrestling match, and it'll probably be something that you're not used to seeing because it's a lot of ground stuff because I have a condition called uh, cerebral palsy, and I'm actually confined to a wheelchair, but I was able to at least do two matches, wrestling matches. So, I would love to see that. So, I would love to see that. So, when, when we when we hang up, I'll text you my email address. And, uh, I would look forward to you sending it. Uh, okay, and like I said, it's probably not what you're used to seeing, like you know, going off the ropes and all that kind of stuff. But at least I got in there and 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 did my thing, and I'm undefeated. So. Hey, you know, the, what the most important thing is is you got in there and you did your thing and you tried. And yeah. you, you used the skills that you do have and modified your, your game, you know, to the way you needed to modify it. Yeah. In order to get get in there and participate. And getting in there and participating is admirable, and not very many people have the guts to do that. Even people that don't have a challenge like you have don't have the guts to do what you did. So I admire that. I appreciate that, Eric. And I, I used to, I used to dream about, you know, being in WCW and stuff. And uh, I was going to ask you one last question, and I'll go ahead and let you go because I know you're short on time. But uh, when they did, when they did the movie uh, Ready to Rumble, why were you never contacted for that film? I always wondered that. Well, I actually, I actually put that whole deal together 
with Warner Brothers. I was working on that uh, throughout the latter part of 1998. And just about the time that they got ready to start shooting that, that film is when um, I was let go from WCW in 1999. So I was originally supposed to play the part that Oliver Platt played. Uh, he, Oliver Platt played my character as the promoter. Um, I was originally written into that script to play that that character, but because I was no longer with the company, um, they, they went ahead and recast it. And, and believe me, Oliver Platt, I'm not an actor, so... It's probably better for everybody that it worked out that way. But yeah, I, I yeah. was originally scheduled to be a part of it, but obviously things happened and it didn't work out. Yeah, yeah. And and I wanted to say, lastly, when when I discovered that a mutual friend of ours in the uh, martial arts industry uh, knew you, I was looking through her photos, and I saw a photo of you two together because I had been trying to actually find a way to contact you, and I was like, holy crap, that's Eric Bischoff with, with my friend who will remain nameless. And I'm like, you know, I said, I've been looking for Eric for a very long time. And she said to me, she said, well, here's his email. <laughs> so I was like, that's amazing because at first I was like, you know, because I knew that you were a martial artist, but, you know, I've seen all these other pictures that she was sharing. Like, you know, she was with Mick Foley. I'm like, is she a wrestling fan, a closet wrestling fan, and not telling me? So I, I actually asked her, and she says, no, they was just at the event that I was at. And I took pictures with them, but I know Eric really well. So I was like, that's really cool. So, yeah, we have a we have a, a, a third mutual friend, a fourth in this case, um, a very close friend of mine by the name of Sonny Ono, who I, I brought into the wrestling business as a manager. Actually, he helped mm-hmm. me a lot behind the scenes because he's Japanese and he's obviously fluent in Japanese. He grew up in Japan. So I brought him in. And I, I'd known him from martial arts. And he and I used to travel in a tournament circuit together. And, and we've been friends since the mid-'70s. And he and your friend, who remained nameless, became friends. And that's how we kind of all knew of each other. So when I when I saw her... I uh, I introduced myself and let her know of our mutual acquaintances, and we just got along, and and that's when she told me about you, and we made this whole connection. So, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a small world, and it's great when you can make connections like this, and everybody can have fun connecting. So, it's, I'm grateful for it. I, absolutely, and I promise this will be my final question. But are you in any martial arts hall of fames or anything like that? Or? No, 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 no. I, I never really accomplished a great deal in martial arts. I got my black belt in 79. I was a pretty good, uh, I wasn't saying I was a great fighter, but I was better than pretty good and not quite great. Uh, and I and I did well on the circuit, the tournament circuit, had a lot of fun, but, you know, there was no money in martial arts back then. You, you, you fought out of passion uh, for the sport and, and for the mm-hmm. art. And... I got to a point where I just realized that you know, I was in my mid-20s, late 20s, and I realized that there was no way to, to make a living out of it. So I, I kind of got out of it before I had an opportunity to really do anything that really warranted any kind of recognition. Uh, I I got my black belt and won a bunch of trophies, and that's about it. <laughs> well, you, you've accomplished a lot in your career, and i got to tell you, I I watched your interview with JBL on the WWE Network, and I really enjoyed your interview that you did with JBL. 
So yeah, it was great. He he did such a great job with that. It was it was so easy. It was a fun interview to be. So I'm glad you saw that. I'm glad you tried it. Yeah, and uh, Eric, I wanted to uh, to give you the floor for final thoughts. And I, I wanted to tell you, I really have enjoyed doing this. Thank you. It's been a dream come true for me. And uh, I'm hoping that you'll come back at, uh, on the show in the near future when you have stuff to yeah. promote or just whatever. Happy, ha- happy to talk to you anytime, but let's uh, give me a little bit of a breath because really, I don't, I'm only interested to listen to you about once every six months. After that, you kind of feel like you've heard all you've heard it all anyway. So, yeah, reach out to me anytime there's something new going on or something you want to discuss, and I'll be happy to join you. Oh, oh absolutely, and it's it's been a blast. Thank you so much, Eric. You're welcome. Be well, and uh, you take care. Take care, my friend. Bye. You have been listening to the Justin Harvey Show here on the World Martial Arts Radio Network. Be sure to tune in again next week for his latest show. Thank you for listening. Hi, Stephanie Ma here again with a special report from World Martial Arts Media about LegacyFightGear.com. Legacy Fight Gear is the official supplier to the world's oldest and most respected martial arts organizations. They have been manufacturing high-quality, affordable products for over 30 years. Visit their new online catalog at LegacyFightGear.com today. School owners who want to raise money for their teams can register to get a wholesale account and become a distributor for LegacyFightGear.com. Don't forget to like our official page at www.facebook.com slash LegacyFightGear. This is Justin in Warpath. Inspiration for my character was none other than Justin Harvey. My pal Boneyard and I are having quite an adventure with the Shadow Reavers. Fighting Trog, Blood Kiss, and that evil sorceress Little Found. Book 6 of Raven Quest, Shadow's End, by Benjamin Raven Presley. When we aren't fighting battles on Terrazine, though, we're drinking grog and listening to the Justin Harvey Show. Hey, Warpath, are you going to help me with these Trog or not? I'm coming, I'm coming. Well, gotta go, blasted trog. Take that, you ugly swine. Get your copy of Raven Quest, book six, Shadows In by Benjamin Raven Presley at waytheraven.net or order on Amazon. And be sure to listen to the Justin Harvey Show for action-packed interviews.